Welcome into Four Down Territory. I am Kyle Madsen, the managing editor of NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. As always, I am joined by the great Doug Farrar, managing editor of Touchdown Wire. Doug, we're at the halfway point. We made it. Oh my gosh. What's up, y'all? It feel, yeah, we are. It feels like, it, dude, every year this happens, right? Every year it takes forever to this, for the season to get here. The draft is a slog. OTAs, training camp, preseason. Just takes forever. And, and it's just, ugh. Yeah, man. And then all of a sudden it's week nine. But hey, yeah. uh, love getting to do this every week. So let's let's dive but in. Fascinating week nine nonetheless. Yeah, very, extremely interesting. It, definitely the, the highlight was the, the four big games, one in each time slot, right? The six thirty game, and then there was the morning game for us on the on the West Coast, the ten a.m. kick, and then there was a one a one p.m. game that was really good with with Dolphin, uh, not Dolphins, uh, Eagles, Cowboys, in the ten a.m. slot. It was that Ravens Seahawks game, <laughs> and then uh, we had the Sunday night game, marquee matchups. But it was actually the Texans Bucks game that kind of stole the show, and that's where we'll start on the same day that Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud, number two overall pick, set an NFL rookie record for passing yards with 470. Uh, He also tied the rookie record with five touchdown passes against the Bucs in that 39-37 last-second win. At the same time that was going on, Panthers quarterback Bryce Young was throwing three picks, including a pair of pick sixes. A pair of pick sixes. Jesus, easy for me to say, to Colts cornerback Kenny Moore in a 27-13 loss. Now, we don't want to make, you know, massive sweeping judgments too early about young quarterbacks, but is it too early to say that the Panthers made a mistake in trading up to the top pick in the 2023 draft and selecting Young instead of Stroud? Yeah, I guess I forgot to put his name in here, so now he's just known as Carolina Panthers quarterback, and I don't know, <laughs> uh, good player, but I'm not sure. I can only go with my own evaluation, and I I don't want to say scouted because I don't want, I'm not a scout, but I evaluated both of those quarterbacks in depth pre-draft. It was my opinion then. It is my opinion now. It will likely be my opinion in five years. Stroud is simply the better quarterback. Once you got past the cognitive test garbage, can we please put that to sleep wow. forever? And the ridiculous idea that he couldn't throw on the move until the Georgia game as a whole bunch of examples of it. Sorry. You were left with what was on the tape that you cared to pay attention to. And Stroud was better with ball placement. He had a higher floor with a potentially high ceiling. He was much better outside the pocket that he was given credit for. Stats and tape tell the story. Mm -hmm. And given his complicated childhood, and he mentioned this after the game, his father is serving a 38-years-to-life sentence, uh, sentenced in 2016 after pleading guilty to charges of carjacking, kidnapping, and robbery in a drug-related incident. So... C.J. Stroud didn't get the performance coaches and the amazing academies and the yellow brick road that a lot of these young guys get. I'm not minimizing anyone who gets to the NFL and balls out, but he didn't have that. He had to sort of bootstrap his way up, and that doesn't show up on tape, but it matters a lot. As for Young, the issue for me right now is that he's making the same kind of mistakes in games in what's become three multi-interception games in his young career. Mm -hmm. He had two picks in his debut against the Falcons. He had two against the Lions in Week 5. The two pick sixes to Moore were each against quick release routes by the running back, and neither throw felt like it was timed right. And when you're missing the simple stuff like that, screens and swings, yep. and making the same kind of errors, you know, more than once in a game and through multiple weeks, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to kill Bryce Young here. I'm hyper focused on the negative plays in the context of this discussion. Mm-hmm. And Young has made some great plays, but right now the Panthers have to be at least wondering a bit. And Stroud really doesn't have a lot of negative plays to talk about. Right. He's just 
taking his college game to the NFL and expanding it. The last time I saw a guy do this on a college was Andrew Luck, mm-hmm. where Bruce Arians it, threw the entire 700-page playbook right at his head, and Luck went, oh, okay, let's go. Yeah. And it was just like, okay. It, it was – this is that amazing what he's doing. So based on my pre-draft evaluation, I thought Stroud was better. He was one. Young was two. But it wasn't like 1A. And it, it, that's not to slight Young. It's just that Stroud's better. So that's that's where I am with it. Yeah, the Panthers messed up for sure. But for me, this comes down to like Stroud is a better player, but I don't think the gap is as wide as it's been in the NFL. And and I put a lot of that on Carolina. They traded mm-hmm. up to to draft a quarterback who is five six, one hundred and twenty five pounds, or, or whatever Bryce Young is. And I think then that might be a slight negative exaggeration, <laughs> right? But but he's he's undersized for the position. And they put him behind a bad offensive line. Adam Thielen is his best receiver. They don't. They traded DJ Moore to the Bears to get. Yeah, right. Oops. And, and and I I I don't buy the team building strategy of just just pick a quarterback and then fill in the rest around him. I, I'm I'm out on that idea. I think you have to have some kind of foundation here, and and the Panthers don't. I, I think they do on the defensive side, but offensively, they were not ready to drop in a quarterback like Bryce Young who's very good. He's very talented, but I think there are some physical limitations to his game that are going to require a good offensive line and receivers that are explosive and that he has chemistry with. And so he can create out of structure, which he was really good at at Alabama. And I don't think the Panthers have given him the tools to do that. So while I think Stroud is a better player and I think Stroud would be having more success with Carolina than, than Bryce Young is, I don't think the gap is this wide where Stroud looks like one of the you know best quarterbacks in the league right now and Young looks like one of the worst. I don't I don't think there's there's that big of a chasm between those two and for for that I put it on the Panthers. Yeah, I mean trading DJ Moore who when he's allowed to is a really explosive player. Right. Um you know, they took Mingo in the second round out of uh, Mississippi and I some people were higher on him than I was, but he's a good receiver. Um, and, you know, if if they had gotten a Rasheed Rice and, you know, the running back situation was more stable and Iki Aquani wasn't having a horrible season, I mean, he's really, really yeah. fallen off a cliff in his second year. You know, there were a lot of bad breaks with the Panthers offense. Um, I, I think I go back to, and I'm going to write about this this week because I've been waiting. I don't, I figured maybe the first month he's just kind of loopy with NFL speed. But the fact that Young, and, and there are multiple examples of this, he keeps making the same mistakes. And that's not what you want. Making mistakes is okay. Right. Making the same mistakes over and over, especially from such a highly disciplined program as Alabama. Yeah. You do this with Nick Saban, man. He's going to burn your head off. So, yeah. Um, yeah, just mistakes I, I didn't make in college, too. Well... He also had a much better structure. And yeah. the thing is, I mean, Laramie for the Texans, Laramie Tunsil has been in and out. You know, he's got he's got some good receivers. Tank Dell can be a force. You know, Damian Pierce has been in and out. So it's not like Houston's situation has been so much better. And yeah. Stroud could just, you know, zing it around. Because both, the, I mean, Alabama, Ohio State, they're both thrown to like multiple first round picks. And they had, you know, right. 18 wheel semis blocking for them. <laughs> you get in the NFL and everyone has a plan until they get hit. Uh, but in this case, I think, you know, 
I, I just think Stroud has availed himself or, or acquitted himself better in the NFL with not, I mean, he's got more, but not a lot more. Yeah, no doubt. Because we all thought the Texans were a hard rebuild too yeah. before the season started. And yeah. that's one reason they're not. They're playoff viable. Shout out to D'Amico Ryans, man. Right? My guy well, can coach some football. <laughs> you, you knew that more than most. Yeah. All right, let's move on to second down where the Baltimore Ravens, holy smokes. <laughs> so they came uh, into Sunday, number one in offensive and defensive DVOA. I'm not uh, I'm not a MIT analytics guy, but that seems good. Uh, DVOA they, is a former football outsider's now FTN metric, which is basically efficiency, which is opponent adjusted, which means right. if you – this is why the Dolphins aren't very good with it because when you just beat up on the bad teams, you lose to the good teams. It's a problem. Yep. So it's basically efficiency adjusted for opponent per right. play and all that. So being number one in both of these things is a, is is good. a great thing to be. Yes, and you don't need you don't need a degree in uh, calculus to get that. No, <laughs> uh, they celebrated their number one offensive and defensive DVOA rankings by taking it to a very good Seahawks team that that entered the game five and two. They left it five and three after a thirty-seven to three beatdown in Baltimore. So, Baltimore is the third best team in overall DVOA, which goes back to nineteen eighty-one. So we're talking four decades here of yep. of football. Uh, there are still a lot of quality teams in the league, but is there any reason not to crown John Harbaugh's squad as the NFL's best right now? And does any other team have a case, Doug? Yeah, as I wrote yesterday, they've, you know, <laughs> very few teams have been this good since Paul Deano was Iron Maiden's lead singer up the irons. <laughs> I think the Ravens are the best team in football, and here's why. Nobody right now can beat you in more different ways, and there are no real holes anywhere. On offense, they remind me of last year's Eagles, because they perfectly tie their pass game and their run game together with the QB run game. And that's something the Eagles aren't doing as much anymore with Jalen Hurts. The Ravens ran for 298 yards and three touchdowns on 41 carries against Seattle. This is the worst, one of the worst losses of the Pete Carroll era I can remember. And undrafted rookie Keaton Mitchell, who I loved at East Carolina, he like led all backs in that class with, uh, I think, 31 runs of 15 or more yards and 75 forced missed tackles. So, yeah, small guy, but, you know, runs big. He ran for 138 yards and a touchdown on just nine carries Man. against Seattle's defense, which was really good against the run this year. Until Very that. good. Um, they can just as easily beat with Lamar Jackson in the passing game now with new OC Todd Monken. And as we'll get to later, sometimes you really need to get a new guy calling concepts on that side of the ball. On defense, they're even more ridiculous. They lead the league in sacks with 35. And they only blitz 22.8% of the time, which is Jeez. middle of the pack. Moreover, they don't have an alpha dog pass rusher, just a bunch of guys perfectly attuned to their skill sets by defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, who will be a coach. He'll be a head coach next year. Yeah. Uh, don't get too comfy with McDonald as your DC Ravens because he's gone. Uh, safety Geno Stone leads the NFL with six interceptions, which would have tied for the league lead in the entire 2022 Lord. regular season. This isn't recency bias either. As you mentioned, they demolished the Lions 38 to six in week seven they exposed what looked like a historically great cleveland browns defense in week four it is the ravens world right now and everyone else is just paying rent they're so good they're yeah. so freaking good so I, i'm gonna just for the sake of argument here i'm gonna throw a couple others out Go. so i i think philly and kansas city still have to be in the mix mm -hmm. philly is still loaded and they're still, it's very clear early on in the season that they were working out some kinks with new new coordinators on, on both sides of the ball. Yes. And I think you're starting to see Philly kind of round into form. 
And if Jalen Hurts can get going on the ground a, a, a little bit more effectively than he's been this season and starts to look more like Jalen Hurts that we saw last year, I think this Philly team is just really hard to beat. In Because that a, really is the mortar in their offense. And I was talking to people who would know better than I would, and, and they're all like, yeah, we, they, they're – they seem to not want to get him hurt, so they're yeah. preventing him from doing as much of it. Yeah. So, but I think in a, in a one game, in a one game sample, you talk sure. about Phil, you talk about Baltimore not having many ways that they can be beat. I think I think Philly's kind of in that same class. So mm-hmm. I'm going to put them in the conversation. Kansas City's still there for me as well because I, I've said this on this program and and other shows I've been on. The fact that you're giving Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes a top five defense yeah. is unfair because at some point they're yeah. going to figure it out. Like at some point that offense is going to start to roll a little bit where they're scoring, you know, 28 plus a game on top of a top five defense that makes Kansas city for me really, really hard to beat, especially yes. if, if the AFC goes through Arrowhead. So, so Kansas city's still there. And then man, after what Cincinnati did to Buffalo, on Sunday night, Joe Burrow's back. Lou Anarumo has that defense playing as as well as it's played. Uh, Cincinnati over the next four or five weeks might just mess around and and find themselves in the best team in the league uh, conversation. They look really really good with Joe Bur- with Joe Burrow back and healthy after the bye. So they're they're in the mix for me. But I think if I'm doing power rankings right now, I think you have to put Baltimore at one just because of how thoroughly they've dismantled teams like Detroit and and Seattle. Let's jump over to third down where you've mentioned this earlier, maybe a coach that, that maybe needs to needs to go. So now that the Raiders have uh, mercifully ended the Josh McDaniels era, probably a few weeks too late. uh, And they, they also got rid of general manager, Dave Ziegler. Is there another coach or coordinator that needs to go to save the team that currently employs them? Yeah, Kyle, I know you haven't talked about that at all in the last couple of weeks on radio or anything. No. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, I will go, Kyle, with Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. It could be said at this point that the decision by the New York Giants to hire former Bills OC Brian Dable has not worked for anybody involved. The Giants are the worst team in football, and the Bills seem to have amputated about half the offense that worked before. <laughs> there seems to be no calculated concept to get the run game going. And that's especially true of the QB running. The route concepts aren't really concepts. It's a lot of random stuff that doesn't set anything up for anything else. Dable was, in Buffalo at least, brilliant at providing Josh Allen with simple coverage beaters when he was on and simplifying things, kind of getting back to basics when he wasn't. Now he has Tommy DeVito and, you know, I think Matt Barkley's on the practice squad or something. Um it seems to me that Dorsey has a one-size-fits-all playbook. He'll adjust when he absolutely needs to, and then he'll just revert and regress. One example, the Bills finally got their sequential passing game together in Week 8 against the Buccaneers by using speed no huddle. Then they barely used it against the Bengals on Sunday night. Head coach Sean McDermott was asked about it right after the loss to the Bengals, and he said, I don't have a good answer for you right now. I've got to look into that. No. I'll leave that where it is. Concerning. I'm sure Dorsey We'll is- look into it. Yeah, and, and Josh Allen said, well, you know, he, he was asked about the lack of speed. No, well, that's what was called. So that that's all I can do. Okay. Yes. I'm sure Dorsey is capable in some instances, in some ways, maybe he's a sandwich artist. I don't know. But since he was elevated from quarterbacks coach to OC in 2022, the differences are clear. They're especially stark this season. The bills are now five and four fighting for postseason relevance. And I don't see an easy way out with the current structure. Yeah, I don't either. I don't trust the Bills as far as I can throw them, which is which is not nope. super far. 
So no, there's a large franchise with a huge building. You couldn't throw them at all. <laughs> uh, dude, you've not that's seen a, me lift, bro. You've not seen me lift. I'm not discouraging the strength. I'm just I'm trying to give you an out. All right, so so I think Matt Nagy is a is a good one because I think disassociating Matt Nagy with all things involving a football team is probably the right move. Um, but yeah, well, you watch Nagy in Kansas City and you see what Eric the Enemy's doing with a bad offensive line in Washington. You're like, yeah, hmm, dude, Sam maybe Howell. He, maybe he has something to do with that. Sam Howell just getting pummeled every week is yeah. A, 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 it's a marvel to watch that he gets back up and continue, continues playing a pretty good football. No, but I'm not. I'm not totally here yet. But I think Steve Wilkes has got one more game with the 49ers. And really, yeah, one more game. Yeah, wow. and, and I mean, it, at least he should. I don't know that. So part of the reason is they hired Wilkes is because they didn't believe they had a good enough internal candidate. And unless somebody mm. has shown that they can be that over the last eight, nine weeks, then that's probably not going to change. But what the Niners are doing right now defensively just isn't really working. And I don't know if it's Isaiah Oliver being in the slot or it's what they're doing uh, in, in coverage with when they're running zone or man, or if it's just a matter of a lack of production from the defensive end spot opposite Nick Bosa, that's not allowing them to get to, to quarterbacks as quickly as they need to. I don't know. But they traded for Chase Young, who now has the most pressures and sacks on the team. I looked this up. Nick Bosa has 44 pressures. The mm -hmm. defensive end opposite Nick Bosa, all of them combined who have played there have 41. So that could be a problem that maybe Chase Young solves. But here's what I'm getting to with Steve Wilkes. If Chase Young doesn't solve that problem and they're still not getting to the quarterback and their coverage is still getting torched by Trevor Lawrence coming up in Week 10 then I don't know what other solution there is to their defensive problem because it's not talent. This is largely the same group last year that was the number one defense in the league in basically every category. So at that point, you got to look at what's new and what's new is Steve Wilkes. So that's, yeah. but again, I, I don't know that they have somebody necessarily capable of replacing him. So they might just be kind of stuck and, and searching for answers for the rest of the year. But, um, Man, if they go out and get torched by Jacksonville in in Jacksonville in Week Ten, I it's going to get really really loud in the Bay Area for for Steve Wilkes to lose his job. And it's interesting because they're not blitzing a lot. Yeah, they're not. But um, they can't. <laughs> when they do, yeah. they get they get smoked. So it, uh, it the yeah. the the cover zero at the end of the first half against Minnesota might have scared Steve yeah. Wilkes out of blitzing ever again. <laughs> Well, and, you know, to his credit, he Kyle said bad, and he came out and said, yeah, I screwed up. So, yeah, I'll it's tough. That much, but, all right. Uh, with all that talent, man, is, what about Chris Kasorek, uh, their defensive line coach? Is he uh, is he ready for that? Because I, I he's so well-respected in the NFL for what he does. Yeah, I don't I, – I, I would assume so, but I don't know if he wants that responsibility. I think he just wants to kind of go scream at his defensive lineman. Yeah. I don't know if he wants to Which, worry about everything else. Yeah. But honestly, Fred Warner's smart enough. Couldn't Fred Warner just coordinate the defense? Just let Kinda him figure it out it. on the fly? Uh, let's get to worst of the week, Doug. What was your worst of the week? Okay. <clears throat> Guess Ooh, what? More refs. Let's go. Yes. The intentional grounding penalty is Josh Allen. <laughs> the end of the first half of the Bills-Bengals game. 
Allen was flagged for intentional grounding after he threw a pass to Gabe Davis after Davis cut back to the quarterback against aggressive man coverage from cornerback Chidobe Awuzie. That is a standard option route, Kyle, against that kind of coverage. You come back mm-hmm. out of man and get open quickly. It was clear that Allen thought that Davis was expecting Allen was expecting Davis to go through Awuzie on a vertical because he threw the ball ten yards over Davis and said he probably thought the play was a fade. Referee Alex Kemp called grounding, and this prompted an interesting discussion between NBC commentator Chris Collinsworth, a former NFL receiver, and NBC rules analyst Terry McCauley, a former Super Bowl referee. I like Terry. I've talked to him before. That's spicy. You know, I think he does a good job. But his insistence that Kemp was in the right because the route doesn't matter, it's where the ball lands, seems disingenuous or just wrong. Another factor here is that the intentional grounding rule is intended to punish quarterbacks who throw the ball away wildly to avoid pressure. Right. Allen was under no such pressure on that play. Kemp had a similarly dodgy grounding call against Geno Smith of the Seahawks in week two. Smith threw the front side fade to Tyler Lockett, but Lockett had cut the route short, probably because Jerry Jacobs had outside leverage, and Kemp didn't understand what happened. Smith was also not under pressure when he made that throw, totally clean pocket, like a, a nice little arc. Smith argued with Kemp, while Kemp's mic was live, that Lockett ran the wrong route. That's what he said. And that's where we get the I'm talking to America meme. Incredible. Not your job, man. Not your job. You're not, not to talk to America, no matter what Ed Hockley says. You're not, your job is not to recite the Gettysburg Address during the game. <laughs> your job is to understand what's going on out there. I would really like you officials to use common sense on plays like this, but we would say that all season long. And I would like also to know – and maybe I'll reach out to Terry about this. Do officials, are they trained? Because I, they have to know some football. They come up from high school, they go to college, then they're in the NFL, however it works. Um, they're not picking guys, you know, cart jockeys in a grocery store going to, you know, the NFL. But do they do they go through these scenarios? Like, well, okay, it may look like intentional grounding, but here's kind of a sign that it isn't. Right. Because on both of those plays, and people were screaming about it on social media, like it was pretty clear that it was an option route gone wrong. It was mm-hmm. pretty clear that it was a miscommunication. And for Alex Kemp to just, you know, blindly with the rule book, the way he saw it, even though that's not how the rule is written to just throw the flag and go, well, that's what it is. Um, not good. This is not good. At all. This isn't and the- I'm really, I'm just getting sick of it. I'm, every week. It's just one more stupid thing. This isn't the first time this has happened either. This this was a the 49ers and Rams in week two uh, mm. had the same had the same type of call. Tutu Atwell uh, broke off his route early, and Stafford thought he was going deep, so Stafford airs it out, and Atwell stops, and Stafford gets hit with a grounding penalty. There just has to be some discretion, but I think this yeah. comes down to the NFL's rule book being way too big. There are so many things for these guys to legislate that when they see something like that, there's no time to go, oh, well, that was obviously a mix-up on the route. Uh, no flag for intentional grounding. It just, it, it's, oh, that went way over there. There was no receiver grounding moving on. It's hard, mm-hmm. man, but I, I, I'm with you. There needs to be some kind of oversight in games where an official can say, Hey, that was not great. That was not within the spirit of the rule. Yeah. My worst of the week was the NFC West. Oh boy. I crunched some numbers. Oh, the NFC West, the 49ers were on a buy. So the 49ers didn't lose this week, but that was good. the Cardinals, good the Rams and the Seahawks lost by a combined score of 84 to six. Is that bad? It's pretty bad. 
they gained a total between those three teams of 396 yards. They went 2.6 yards per play as a collective. That is abominable. And you get it. Like, you get it a little bit with Arizona, right? It's Arizona. It's Clayton Toon making his debut against the Browns on the road. They had no After chance. After the Cardinals traded Josh Dobbs to the Vikings, and Josh Dobbs had, like, the most incredible game any quarterbacks ever had. Bro, there needs to be a book written about that that game. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. I, this morning. I got a sad start on it. Is, jo- is Josh Dobbs just a top 10 quarterback in the league right now? No. <laughs> Does he could just throw him on a team and he's going to go get you a dub? No. Well, um, he, no, he's done that like four different times in the last year, which is one reason it worked. I know. He's incredible. Yeah, incredible. He's incredible. So, so um, the NFC West. Yeah. You can forgive the Cardinals for getting shut out. And <laughs> Do you know how many yards the Cardinals had just off just offhand? Uh, I'm going to say 73. Ooh, you gave him too much credit. 58. Oh, darn it. On 48 plays. And that was against the Browns. Yeah, it was against the Browns. But again, like I said, it's Clayton Toon in his NFL debut. You you don't expect a lot more. You forgive him. But man, the Rams and Seahawks. The Rams were were in Green Bay. The Seahawks in Baltimore. That's just, that's a tough showing from from the NFC West. And I know the Rams started Brett Rippon. And Mm -hmm. so you you understand that. But just a bad week in the NFC West all around. So they're my they're my worst because it is really hard to represent a division worse than the NFC West got represented this weekend. Yeah, I think the only thing that was really surprising was the uh, the Seahawks getting boat raced to that degree because wow. Yeah, that was a and again that was marks the Ravens. I'm I'm watching their defensive tape this afternoon and I'm just like, oh oh yeah, really? Just, wow, how do you do that and get away with it? Apparently. That's- Apparently, people are calling for Geno Smith to be benched for Drew Locke. Yep. That's a thing that's happening. Yep. yep. I don't. I, I don't want to know what would have happened to Drew Locke in that game. <laughs> it would have been way worse. So, man, uh, as, it would feel like what 30, thirty-seven to minus to eight. I mean, I don't know how much worse you can get. Yeah. Was, yeah. He's, he's had a couple of interesting weeks, but I, you know, realistically, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, me neither. At least not yet. That's going to do it for this week's Four Down Territory. We're at the halfway point, Doug. We made it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, watching this week and in past weeks and in future weeks. We appreciate it greatly for Doug Ferraro and Kyle Madsen. We'll see y'all.